IT companies have a better shot at succeeding with a solid understanding of where their customers are heading, according to Dan Schwab, co-president of DNH Distributing. In this episode of Beyond Distribution, host Frank Vitagliano catches up on some of the latest trends and partner opportunities in the SMB community, including AI, cloud computing, and advances in the hardware space. What comes next for the channel? How can distributors best support their vendor and solution provider partners? Here are those answers and more on this episode of Beyond Distribution with GTDC. Welcome everybody to our next uh, telecast of uh, Beyond uh, Distribution. And today I'm delighted to have with me uh, Dan Schwab, uh, who leads along with his brother, uh, Michael, uh, DNH and has been doing it for quite some time. Dan, welcome, happy to have you. Thanks, Frank. Honor to be here. Yeah. So, you know, Dan, you and I go back a long time, um, and but you go back further, <laughs> and uh, you actually grew up in this industry, which is you know really amazing. And uh, you know, DNH is a long-established family business, which has to be interesting based on you know where it started and where you are today. Take us through that journey a little bit. Give us some thoughts around that. Sure. So DNA started in nineteen in nineteen eighteen. So we weren't selling computers back then. Yeah. Um, and went through a lot of iterations. But we've launched everything from the first television, the first computer, the first video game console with Pong. Uh, you name it. Almost every technology over the last fifty years, DNA has been a large part of it. In fact, we have a museum in our lobby that shows all the products we've sold over the decades. And, one of the items in there is my notebook computer from college, which is a 42-pound luggable. Which can you imagine bringing a 42-pound uh, notebook on the airplane today? I don't think that would that would work too well on the flip down, uh, flip down, uh, uh, you know, computer holder. Right. Um, but it's a family business. But it's really run like a business because when you run a family business, you've got a business if you run it like a family. So my example is, you know, uh, we have a family constitution where I had to graduate and, and get four years experience before I could apply, apply for an entry level role. Mm -hmm. And when I showed up, there was no red part, but I had to go to the back and drag a desk out uh, and start uh, in a very, very small business all by myself. So it's kind of the school of hard knocks. And I think that's part of our success of being a private and family owned company um, that we, we still have to run it like it's a, a big business. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just amazing. And so when you and Michael were kind of growing up, did you were you involved at all? Did you, I mean, you kind of knew what was going on, but did you actually participate or was that just after college and you know, when you were ready to start working? You know, our, our father was really good at kind of keeping it separate, right? There was family and there was work. Um, and, and back then you weren't on email at nine o'clock at night, like all of us are. So it really was some separation. So we knew of it, but not enough to be dangerous, I would say, Frank. Yeah. And um, our first introduction is when we were in high school, we had summer jobs and whether it was you know, everything from cleaning up or I was an inside uh, uh, one of our first customer service reps selling uh, Panasonic KXP 1124s and all sorts of star micronics monitors back then. Um, so we got some introduction, but we never knew that we would work here. In fact, we were told, as we tell our kids, assume it doesn't exist. You have to make your own career, go out in the world and get experience. So if if it's a good fit for the company and the individual, that you come with some practical and valuable experience before you would ever join the company. So that's kind of how Michael and I kind of grew up in the business, more from a distance. Um, and then once Michael got involved, Michael joined before me, he's been with DNH 31 years, I've been here 26 years. 
So he was here for about five years as a sales rep. And I saw him uh, through the lens of his eyes of being an outside sales rep. I started to learn a little bit more at the company at that time. Yeah, that's great. It's it's really a fabulous story. So the other thing that, you know, you and I have talked about, and I know I've heard you a lot over the years describe your employees as owners and, right. and as, you know, part of the DNH family. Uh, talk about that a little bit and also tell me why that's important uh, to you. So we always considered a family, even before we became an ESOP in 1998, Frank. So back then we had, you know, 150 employees and we knew everyone's name. We knew their spouse's name. And there was many people that worked at DNH that were generational, that had parents or grandparents or spouses that worked here. In 1998, we give Izzy, um, our then uh, president, foresight for seeing the opportunity to create what's called an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan, where our employees, um, they wouldn't be stock options. They would be actually given shares. Mm. So over the past 25 years, we've given away given away 36% of the company. They have not bought it. We've given away 36% of the ownership of the company to our employees. And it's rare, right? So this type of ESOP, there's less than one-tenth of 1% 1 of any company in North America. Usually they're leveraged ESOPs. In this case, uh, we already were running successful business. We, we had great lives. And what we really wanted to do is have everyone rowing in the same direction and how everyone, everyone should win together. We're just big believers in that. So it's today, everyone's called an employee co-owner because they are. After 90 days, they get shares in the company and they're vested over a couple of years. But you see this incredible esprit de corps, this passion. All you want is if you own your own company, whether it was a pizza shop or a small business, you want everyone to treat it like it's their own business, everyone that works there. And we're fortunate to have that. Um, and the internal customer service is just as important as our external customer service to our vendors and customers. So we think it's kind of our secret sauce, Frank. We think it's a strategic advantage to be private because we don't have that 90-day shot clock. All the decisions are for three to five years out. And we do it in the context of what's best for our customers, our vendors, and employee owners. And I think it served us really well. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. I, you know, I never hear of anybody leaving. <laughs> so your retention rate, uh, it, it must be astronomical because, you know, we've all who've been in the industry for a while, watch people kind of come and go to, you know, in various locations. And I just never hear of anybody leaving. And uh, I think that's a testament to one, the the plan that you have in place and two, your strategy around, you know, how you guys run it. So that, that's fabulous. So Thanks. let's bridge now to, you know, where we are today. And obviously, you know, you guys have been extraordinarily successful. Um, you know, I, the last numbers I'd seen, you know, your growth uh, has just continued. Uh, I know you do interviews quite frequently with, you know, CRN, et cetera, and you talk about it. But talk a little bit about where you sit today, the growth, you know, that you guys have been able to experience, which has been very positive, and also your business focus. You know, what are you focused on? Where are you going? Great. <clears throat> so I guess the first part, Frank, you're right. We have been very fortunate that we've been able to grow. And and we have a, a, a phrase internally, which is we decline to participate in any economic downturn. Um, and we're fortunate that we're still a small percentage of the North American distribution business, right? For, you know, for many vendors, we're five to 25% of their business. Mm -hmm. And there's many vendors who we're still starting to engage with. So we know that we have the ability and propensity to grow, whether the IT market grows or not, whether GDP grows or not. And I think we've kind of used that as kind of our, our mindset. So even 
um, you know, every downturn from, um, you know, the 2008, the Great Recession, when those things happen, DNH really takes a long-term mentality. So Michael and I, at the end, we became president in May of 2008, Frank, and it's a scary time. And many of us that were working, yourself included, you know, companies, you know, had layoffs, they eliminated the advertising budget, they cut downstream credit, they eliminated the 401k match. We zigged when others zagged. So we increased the 401k match by 50%. We tripled our advertising budget. We hired more salespeople. The only thing we did is we're real honest. And I think that's a big part of our success is great internal communication. We don't treat people like numbers. We treat people like they're part of it because they all have optics and they all add tremendous value. And we said, we're just not going to have pay increases for one year because we don't know what to expect, except for the top four executives took a 30% reduction. And what happened at the end of the year, North American distribution shrank 10%. We grew 20% by taking that long-term mentality. And I'm sharing this because we did the same thing and you know, during COVID and even the IT market, which contracted last year, we still grew double digits because I think we really look at it at a longer-term standpoint, both from a technology standpoint. It's, it's the old um, Wayne Gretzky line, where the puck is going. So we have the luxury of really being um, thoughtful and looking around the corner and where the business is going. And we do this by interviewing our customers and vendors on a regular basis. So we're not the smartest guys in the world, right? However, we do a really good job of listening. So we've made tremendous investments in our infrastructure business with people like HPE and Cisco and Lenovo. We've, we've doubled down on our SMB, which is really, DNH is always considered to be the SMB distributor. We've doubled down, doubled down there with new programs, new services, new credit offerings that are very different than, than our peers. And I think we try and do that kind of across the board, Frank. So one thing DNH doesn't do is swing for the fences. So when everyone else was going big in the cloud 10, 15 years ago, DNH stood on the sidelines a little bit because we weren't playing with the public's money. It was our own money. So we took we took a longer term mentality, and now I think we're going down the road where we think our goal is to leapfrog and have best in breed solutions for our partners, based on not what we think we need, but what what they've told us they need and where they're going. So whether it's devices as service, is it working with MSPs? Whether it's they're leveraging some of our services to complement theirs, we really try and remain incredibly flexible to meet our customers and our vendors' needs, and in doing that. We've got no one customer nor one vendor that's that's too large of a part of our business. And we love this diversification. So we've made bets on the infrastructure side. We've made bets on our modern solutions and cloud and services business. We've made bets on SMB. And all those bets really are long-term and focused that if after six months they're not working out, um, that person's not called to the mat and and uh, you know, really challenged and, and maybe they they feel their jobs at risk. We challenge ourselves and say, okay. What can we do better? How do we tweak it? Or if it's going well, how do we throw fuel on the fire? So we don't really even have annual planning every anymore. So we don't make decisions based on, oh, we have this budget. It should all be based on the facts at hand because we all should reserve the right to get smarter. And this business is so dynamic, Frank, as you know. So we continue to pivot and change multiple times a year, let alone each quarter. So I think we're really focused to, to, to stay incredibly focused on our partners' needs, um, especially those partners that are early adopters. Yeah, that's an amazing, when you think about that, you know, particularly like someone like me, for example, who spent almost my entire career, you know, with public companies that were on the 90-day shot clock, right? Sure. <laughs> um, and, and in a lot of cases, 
companies that, in you know, in my experience, move very quickly to either add resource or or uh, take away resource or add you know an initiative or take away an initiative based on what was happening externally, and you always felt like it was maybe potentially a knee jerk reaction. And what you're describing is really pretty interesting um, and different, and obviously has been working. Uh, and and that's great. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time, as you know, you know, Dan, with GTDC talking to folks in the organization, uh, folks in the industry. Some, for example, in, on your team, we talk to Jason a lot, you know, who's running yeah. your modern, you know, uh, <clears throat> solutions. Yeah. And he's been very helpful in terms of, you know, cloud and what's going on with cloud and infrastructure and cloud services and really quite knowledgeable. Um, what's your take there? Because while you may have been on the sidelines for a long period, you're not anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. I would say, I would say, Frank, you're right. And I think now we've really leaned in there and we look at that as a complementary part to our core business because you'll always have devices. There'll always be things on the edge of the network. Yeah. So we look at it, you know, we're not, it's not like we're burning the ships and running, you know, that we have to be on a, um, you know, an annual service type business, which a lot of, you know, manufacturers, they, they want that, right? They want that recurring revenue because it affects their valuation. Well, we're, we're not worried about valuation, but we know more and more of our partners are migrating to as a service consumption models. We've pivoted there. We've, we've leaned in on specialized managed services, such as security management, because that's going to continue to grow, especially with AI creating growing security risks. Mm -hmm. You know, we see cloud providers looking for distribution partners who are adept at this hybrid workplace. So it's really both and different consumption models. So we built our cloud solution to be the most, in our opinion, the most flexible one that customers can add their services. They can use our services. They could price it. They can have different billing scenarios for their end users by products. We try just to make it really, really flexible to evolve their practices because it seems that all of our partners are at a different part of the evolutionary curve. And it's our job to, to help them to, um, you know, if they're trying to become an MSP or if they're trying to build out a, a managed security practice, or if they want to get into pro AV, it's our job to help invest in them at no, no cost to our partners. We'll offer free training for them and encouraging them to lean on us for our technology, uh, our technologists, the people we have here and the services we offer. So we really want to help them build out those practices. So everything that you aforementioned, you know, from cloud to as a service um, to security, even AI today. So we're leaning in on AI, but we're looking at AI in a, in a really pragmatic sense, right? It's very easy to get caught up in the hype. We're really trying to simplify it into how it can impact our partner's business. And as, or if not more importantly, how can it help them differentiate themselves to their end users? How does it allow them to go back to their end user and evangelize this technology and how it could affect them, both from a risk standpoint, but also how did they leverage it to take costs out of their equation and help them scale? And I think we're still in the early stages of that, right? I think we're starting to see some really solid use cases that we're training on in Q1, but I think it's the tip of the iceberg. So we look at this as kind of a rolling thunder scenario, um, almost like any technology that first you educate and evangelize, then you do a lot of training, you create tools for them to message it to their end users, and then you really come uh, forth with solution sets that they can actually implement and leverage to, to, to facilitate those new technologies. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, look, you know, I remember 10 years ago, 
people were talking about cloud and what was happening and there was a frenzy around it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the approach that a lot of us took, and I, 10 years ago, I probably was with Dell at the time, was um, that it still hadn't sort of, it still hadn't evolved to the point where you could figure out how to monetize it, how to operationalize it, right? And, uh, and of course, that's played itself out. And now we kind of know where it fits and what services are needed, et cetera, how you can make money. You know, AI is in that exact same spot now. I mean, it is so early in the game. People are trying to figure it out. I think the approach that you take makes sense because it avoids, you know, these big swings and misses, right? <laughs> and, you know, lets it kind of catch up a little bit, which, which I think makes a ton of sense. Um, the other thing that's interesting, though, you know, Dan, when I look at, you know, the your role and how you guys have participated in the space over the years, and of course, we've worked together with... Um, at least two vendors, I know with IBM for sure, and, and I know Dell for sure, um, hardware is not going away. <laughs> and, and that's always been a big part of, you know, what you guys have done and done very, very well. Talk a little bit about that, because I think, and, you know, you and I spoke, it wasn't too long ago, we were having a discussion uh, and, you know, you mentioned that, yeah, the marketplace was a little bit slower for endpoint devices, but you know, it wasn't that big a deal. You guys weren't feeling that pain as much as maybe the industry appeared to be feeling the pain. Sure. Talk about, you know, your your role there and how you guys participate. Um, absolutely. So I, uh, first of all, I'll, I'll kind of leverage your comment and, and uh, I'll give my, my brother who I'm fortunate to work with. He's my best friend. He always uh, says, uh, you said, you know, swinging for the fences, um, you know, and going guard row to guard row. We like hitting lots of singles, right? We don't like swinging for the fences because you strike out. So we'll never go all in. So we like um, measured bets and then doubling down or pulling back. Um, so from that standpoint, I, I think you're correct. We saw that with cloud, most technologies, Frank, they 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 first grain traction in the in the enterprise space, say it's Amazon when they had cloud, or in the consumer space with Office 365, and then it migrates to the middle. Same with X as a service, right? I think it's just now starting to migrate into the mid-market and SMB. And I think the same thing is going to be true for AI. But within that, we think AI is a tremendous upgrade cycle on the client. So clients are a big part of our business as it is any distributor. Um, I think that doesn't go away. I think we're hopeful that the next two years will be one of the biggest upgrade cycles we've seen since the big Microsoft upgrades that we remember, like Windows 98 and some of the other ones. We think it really is because you have this technology that's old in the tooth in some respects, but it's good enough. It works, right? If you're doing Excel and PowerPoint and, and, and standard functionality, it's good enough technology. However, with some of this AI and you think about Microsoft Copilot within Windows 11, and it's really impressive technology, most of the manufacturers are telling us that it's very expensive to build this out in hyperscale really expensive doing the cloud. So what they're doing is they're trying to build this technology into the client themselves to make them more powerful. So you, you can actually do um, on-premise the calculations, uh, the immediate response time versus going to the cloud, which it, A, it's slightly latent, but more importantly, it's just much more expensive to build that out um, in that scale market. So we think it's a great story that we think, again, I'll call it rolling thunder throughout 2024 and 25, this will be part of the AI messaging, part of the upgrade cycle that we'll be training our partners on 
so that they can evangelize it to their customers. Because I do think it's a major macro cycle that we hopefully will all be in. This year was a down year for the PC market. Many, many of our competitors, many manufacturers reported some quarters that were down 10 to 20%. Mm. We are fortunate we, we grew all throughout the year. Uh, we think next year, though, it's going to be a dramatic accelerator uh, as it relates to clients. Yeah, and that's and that's really encouraging because I'm hearing the same thing. You know, we spend, as you know, we've developed a really good relationship within GTDC. You're part of it with IDC. Yeah. And IDC, you know, has has taken a similar view. Um, and you've des you've described very well uh, one of the things that I've been trying to figure out is when somebody <laughs> talks about an AI powered PC, what is that, <laughs> right? Um, and you described it, so that's good because. I've heard that now just starting to come into play, right? And, and a lot of the players are talking about it. Um, that and the natural refresh cycle, which is still sort of upon us or should be upon us, right? Because people yeah. have clearly been bleeding the assets probably for a couple of years, all right? Um, will be very positive because my sense is, and I, you probably agree with this, is the infrastructure business will continue to do well, right? Yes. The, storage market, the networking market, you know, that continues to do well and was a bright spot in 2023, yeah. probably will continue, I would imagine, right? We agree. We think that's what's exciting is that if you could both, right? Because there's still security and storage upgrades for the network. And in fact, a lot of times your, your client, your upgrade cycle, oftentimes will drive back office network upgrades as well. Um, so we see it as, um, you know, one of the most opportunistic times, really, and, and since Michael and I have been president in the last uh, 15 years. So we're, we're very bullish, Frank. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, it, 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 the solution providers are, too, <laughs> your customers. When I talk to, you know, your customers and your competitors' customers, um, they all tell me that this is as exciting a time as they've ever been in in the industry with, you know, the with sort of the, the base that's already been built and what's happening in terms of innovation and tech, technology innovation enables them to develop a suite of services that are obviously more profitable uh, than they've ever been and really help them grow. So it's really a, a potentially a very positive story going into 2023. One of the things, Dan, that we'll do at our upcoming event, which, which I know you've attended uh, regularly, and I think you're, you're scheduled this year again, is IDC will uh, uh, also kind of give us their view of what's going to happen in the marketplace. And we've also got an economist coming in who will maybe talk more about the global macro you know, environment, which is also important for us to you know, hear. Let me transition one other way here, because uh, I think it's important in the next three or four minutes that we've got to kind of talk about the way you've managed uh, your relationships with, you know, upstream, you know, the vendor community. And I have great experience with that because as I said, you and I have worked together closely over the years, but also downstream, you know, with your, your customers. And you guys have done a nice job managing all of that over the years. Talk to me a little bit about your philosophy there and some of the things that are important and also maybe sort of the customer journey, you know, if you will, because that's becoming more and more important over time. I think that's great. I think, again, um, we're fortunate, Frank, being a private company, um, priding ourselves in being nimble. So our whole goal is to figure out what our manufacturers' goals are, what they're paid on, what's important to them this year, and how do we, how do we align to them 
to hit the, help them hit their goals. Not about what are we doing and how do they align to us. Yeah. And same thing for our partners. So again, as a public company, you're responding to shareholder equity. We really think if we take great care of our vendors and help them win, help our customers grow and take cost out of the equation and, and be a trusted resource and hire great people and stay out of their way, we take care of those three constituents, shareholder equity takes care of itself and it has. So we really focus on ease of doing business. Like if you were to say, what is our, our business model? It's easy to do business with, and it starts with what we believe is an industry leading sales coverage model, because we have to have an incredible website. We're going through a digital transformation, just like all of our peers are in every, every company, right? You're trying to figure out how you're going to leverage AI and how you're going to be more automated and um, facilitate, you know, uh, people self-serving. But at the end of the day, relationships matter, people matter. And we think the relationships we have with our partners and helping them do their journey, we want to be their trusted advisor. We're, we're lucky the average tenure of our inside sales reps, Frank, is over 10 years and they're all North American based. Um, a lot of other people outsource to other geos. They get put into a pool of people. DNH really believes that our number one asset is our people. And some companies say that, but they don't walk the walk. We believe strongly that it's our biggest asset. So we invest there. And I think that's how we, we I guess, cultivate that customer experience and that customer evolution because it's unique. Everyone is different and we have to be incredibly flexible to meet their needs to be as incredibly nimble to meet them and run through a wall on their behalf, both customers and vendors. And it makes it harder as you get bigger, you know, it's, it's, it's a higher touch business. Yeah. Uh, but we think that's what separates us, right? We may never be the biggest enterprise distributor selling to fortune 100 companies, but I'm not so sure they need us there. I think that is already very well served by manufacturers and the people in the, and the resellers that serve them. We can add value in a lot of other partners and do it in a way that helps them make more money, sell more technologies, um, help them uh, reduce their costs, whether it's working capital costs, freight costs, you name it. And I think that's that's our model is to take all those different work streams and apply them differently based on on the vendor and customer we work with. Yeah, that's great. And I think that, and I think that you know, I, again, I, from experience, that uh, you guys do listen, and um, and you know, I've known that over the years. And I think that's a real important point. The other point that you mentioned is, is really interesting, and I tied it back to something you, you said earlier, and I know you're a sports fan, you know, like me, um, you know, what you said kind of reminded me of, you know, a baseball player, you know, who, who, you know, his goal is to, you know, win the batting championship, right? Sure. But at the end of the day, you don't go into it with that. You go into it with, what are the things I have to do to make myself better? And if I do, maybe I'll win the batting championship, right? And to your point, you know, what you just described, because you don't start out with a goal that says, let's go do this based on the fact that, you know, you're private and you're able to do that. But if you do all the things that you're supposed to do, it'll happen. <laughs> it'll come. And that's kind of an interesting way to look at it. And a lot of people need to need to maybe look at things that way, right? Particularly in the environment that we live in, because it's so volatile, right? I mean, you know, we're sitting here right now and... And we're thinking and hoping that, you know, the the what we per, perceive to be potential growth, you know, a good environment will continue to be that way. But who knows, right? To doing it for as long as we have, you know that you're going to have to deal with, you know, uncertainty. So so in closing, uh, Dan, um, obviously you're bullish 
for you know 2024 and beyond you know obviously you've had a good you know track record a great track record you know up to now and and been able to weather a lot of the storms um what you know in in terms of your message to you know your constituents your customers because again this is a very competitive market as as you know right well one of the points you pointed out really really well is you know you've been in a good position to gain share because you haven't necessarily been the dominant you know player in in those industries but yeah. as you continue to do what you do and you're becoming more dominant so <laughs> what final thoughts any 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 uh final uh comments that you'd make well, first of all, Frank, it's an honor that we've become the third largest distributor for all land distributor distribution. It's a big deal for us. I remember CRN used to have the top 50 distributors in North America. And I remember, you know, um, and we just kind of old fashioned blocked and tackled every day. It wasn't rocket science. Um, and I think my message would be one of appreciation. We want to thank our vendor partners and our customers for leaning in with us. Um, I think we're not going to change. You know, a lot of companies, they go through lots of revolutions and new leader comes in. Let's go this way. And then they go guardrail to, to your point. They have huge layoffs, so they get rid of that division. And we've hired some outstanding new leaders in the company, and they fit us. And, they're, and they drive change, but they're driving change in an evolutionary fashion. So um, we, we think we're going to continue to evolve every quarter, every month, every week. We think we're going to continue to reserve the right to get smarter. Um, and listen, people get people get promoted for telling Michael and I we're wrong. We like people challenging us and we like listening to figure out how we can help our partners. When we go back, it's really simple. If we continue to stay true to the point, if we focus on helping our vendors and customers wins, we, we know we'll win in the end and our share will grow. Uh, we, we see an opportunity for us being private gives us ability that if you're private equity owned or publicly owned, they just serve different masters our math, our masters or our customers, our vendors, and our great employee owners. So it's an honor to spend some time with you here today. I love talking about DNH. I could do it forever. I don't want to bore everyone, but uh, I guess I would wrap it up with a note of appreciation for everyone who's partnered with us over the years. No, that's great and ex extraordinarily well said. And you know, you guys are doing you guys are doing good. And I look forward to seeing you soon out in uh, San Diego at our event. So Dan, thanks very much for your time and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Frank. Be well, my friend.